0: I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're using a pew Bible because you're new to the Bible, it's on page 978. Um, Actually, where we'll begin reading is on page 977 in verse 11. While you're turning there, I want to address uh, one thing. Uh, Many of you may have received a book that looks like this in your mailbox called The Great Controversy. All right? And some have asked about it what is it? uh, What is it doing in my mailbox? This kind of thing. Uh, This book was originally written um, uh, under a different title, but it was written by a woman named Ellen G. White. And Ellen G. White. was one of the co-founders of the Seventh-day Adventist movement in the middle of the 19th century. And um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, because my concern is actually this book and the teachings of the woman who wrote it. And because it has been so, especially been distributed in Perry Township, um, but I did want to address the problems just a couple of problems. Ellen G. White teaches that beginning in 1844, Christ began the second part of atoning for our sin, which is absolutely false, absolutely false. Christ died once for all, according to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Ellen G. White and others with her, uh, but as she wrote all of her writings, she believed that God was speaking directly to His people through her pen, thus denying the authority and the sufficiency of the Scriptures. She would use those words that the Bible is the final authority, but then she would also believe that through her pen was coming more words for God's people. Um, she also believes that we who worship on the Lord's Day, as was the practice in the early church and has been the practice of the church for two millennia, that in the end we will receive the mark of the beast for this disobedience because we ought to be worshiping uh, on Saturday and not on Sunday, on the seventh day. Thus, the word seventh, that's the title, Seventh-day Adventist. She also taught that uh, keeping the commandments was the only way to earn God's favor, Um, that basically she paired the idea of grace with the idea of obedience. Um, She also taught soul sleep, which is the doctrine that when you die, you are literally unconscious. There is no being separated from the body and present with the Lord, that all those who are dead are unconscious until the end. And... Then she taught at that end, those who are outside of Christ would not endure eternal conscious torment in hell, but they would be annihilated, that that is the hell, that there is no eternal punishment in that sense. So that is just a handful of things. More could be said. So what I would tell you in general is that we all ought to read with discernment, yes? No matter what we read. But I can tell you with confidence, you can toss this thing in the garbage, All right? So you can toss this out. You will read things that are true in this book, by the way. If you were to read it cover to cover, you would find true things. Uh, But nobody wants uh, their soup poisoned with only a little bit of rat poisoning, right? We just want the soup. Um, So I won't tell my wonderful brownie and the spoiled vanilla story yet again. Some of you have heard it probably four or five times. I don't know. Um, it'll come out soon enough. But that's, that's enough. All right, if you have more questions about this, honestly, there are some really helpful things online that you can uh, read about the differences. Uh, but um, she is a false teacher, so you should stay away from her. She is no longer living. She lived in the mid-19th century, all right? Um, anyway, that's enough on that. Ephesians chapter 4 We're going to read verses 11 to 16, and then we'll pray together. These are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul. And He, that is the risen Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Our Father, as we look to Your Word, we say with the disciples and with the song that we just sang, Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from Your mouth. And so we pray that we will truly hear that Your Spirit will open our ears and our hearts to hear and receive and love and believe the truth we will examine today, that we might live differently because of it, that we might glorify You. We pray, God, that you will help us to do this, that you will be our teacher by your Holy Spirit. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Words can wield great power in the lives of other people. Consider Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The power of words is seen also, especially the destructive power of words, is seen in James's letter when he writes, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. Surely, many of you, surely you have seen images of the destruction of the fires in California. That is a fair physical image of what can happen with words. The tongue can exalt self. The tongue can serve self. The tongue can spew venom. The tongue can ooze hatred. The tongue can curse God. The tongue can divide families. The tongue can break friendships. The tongue can split churches. The tongue can take a nation, a state, a church, a business, a school, a family towards its destruction. The tongue is set on fire by hell. And James also says in that in that chapter that the tongue, actually, no man can actually tame the tongue. And yet this morning in our series on one anothering, here Paul is telling us to use our tongues in a particular way, to speak the truth in love. Now, the good news in this is that for the Christian, it actually is possible to do this. It is possible. You see, the tongue that's set on hell by fire is rooted in a heart that doesn't want to please God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for us, for our sin, including all our destructive, self-serving, hate-filled words that we have spoken, and that all who turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them will be forgiven. I mean, friend, those words that you spoke all those years ago that haunt you, the words you spoke on the way to the church this morning that are now haunting you, the words you spoke to your spouse, the words you spoke to your children, the word, whatever words they are, the good news is that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse you from the, the sinfulness of those words. And those who trust in Jesus not only have forgiveness, the Bible teaches us that God has actually given us a new heart. Hearts that want to honor Him. Hearts that want to please Him. So that we actually can say words that are spoken in love and that are the truth. We can do that. This is, this is apparently different than, because all of this Where we're at is in the context of believers, and Paul in chapter 4 verse 1 has said uh, that we should walk, that he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And this is part of it. How we speak is part of that calling. There's apparently something different than just saying nice things or phrasing things nicely to this particular phrase. This is more than being nice. This is speaking the truth in love. Apparently, something that only someone who has been called according to the calling of Christ in the gospel can do. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do it. So as we go through this, just remember that. you got to set the tone, because as I go through, you would be like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And if you rely on yourself, you know what? You can't do that. But because you have the Holy Spirit within you, you can. And if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are wrecked with guilt by all the things you've done and all the words you've said, His offer is available today as it is every day to come to Him, you who are weary and heavy laden, and He will give rest to your soul. Turn from your sin and trust in Him, and He will save you. And we still fight against sin, don't we? It's not that... look. We don't have to go too far to find examples of Christians not speaking the truth in love, do we? We don't have to go very far, so I'm not going to go very far. But admittedly, we all do it, don't we? We all sin here. We all still fight against sin, against the pull of sin. We all say things that don't honor God and that hurt others and that serve ourselves. But we can continually repent of these things and seek to grow in faithfulness in speaking the truth in love now for those of you who are uh, very quick to point out what's missing you'll notice that in all six of these verses you won't find a single instance of the phrase one another alright you may be very eager to tell me that after the service but just know I already know alright I already know and as we go through My prayer is that you'll see that the one another is actually implied through the thing. Okay? So, let's just launch right in. First of all, let's look at the goal here. Paul's goal that he lays out. Let me read verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Now, it may seem quite obvious. I mean, all you've been talking about is speaking the truth in love thus far, so apparently the goal is to speak the truth in love. But that's not actually the goal that Paul is aiming at. Did you notice? If you have the ESV in front of you, you'll notice uh, properly that the phrase speaking the truth in love is set off by commas. But speaking the truth, that that participle there is meant to modify something else. It's describing how we're to do something else. Rather, speaking the truth in love, uh, uh, we are to grow up. If you just take that Take that phrase out just momentarily and just read it straight through without that phrase. Then you will see, then you'll hear the main goal, all right? And this is what he writes. Rather, we are to grow up into him who is the head. So what's the, main, what's the goal? That's not rhetorical. What's the goal? Grow up. That's the goal. We're to grow up. In fact, that's what the whole paragraph is aiming at, is to grow up, to grow in Christian maturity. But he says, rather. Rather we are to grow up. Well, rather than what? Rather than the things in verse 14. Rather than being children who tend to be gullible, who need to be consistently warned about strangers who offer candy and want to lure them away. Rather than that, we're to be spiritual adults with discernment. He uses the phrase mature manhood in verse 13 to describe that. Rather than, what else? Being tossed about here by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's a little side note. If you start reading, especially in the first four chapters up to this point in Ephesians, you will find that Paul loves to put things in threes. He loves threes. All right? This is one of them but that tossed that, 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 uh, about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. While we may tease out variations and shades of these things, the idea is that tricky and crafty and false doctrine shouldn't carry us away. Don't let any of this stuff carry you away. And the winds blow strong, don't they? they vary in their source and they vary in their substance some seem quite sincere, some are Seem rather obvious to be human cunning and deceit. Winds blow from the left. Winds blow from the right. Winds blow from outside the church. Winds blow from inside the church. Winds seek to interpret suffering and sin in a particular way. Winds seek to alleviate or answer the problem of suffering sin in a different way. All the winds are just swirling around us. But rather than being blown around, we're to grow up, we're to be immovable. So the goal in what everything else we're going to say, the goal of everything here in this verse is to grow up. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Him who is the head. Now having settled the goal, who are the speakers? the speakers. That's the next thing we need to understand because he's talking about speaking. Who are the speakers? Well somebody very quickly raises their hand. Well isn't that what elders do? Isn't that the pastor's job is to do the speaking? Isn't that what you're doing right now? Why yes it is and it is the el- it is elders responsibility. If you look back in verse 11 and 12 you'll see that the risen Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All of these categories of individuals, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are counted in Paul's mind as gifts from the risen Christ To his church. Now, I say that as one knowing that I'm an elder here, but I want you to know I never look in the mirror and talk about, oh, you are God's gift to the church. I never do that. But (laughs) how strange would it be? Like, that's the pre sermon ritual, right? No, it is not. It is, I am a worm. I am nothing. But we as a church are to consider those given to us in this capacity as gifts. And I want to say, not because it's October and somebody has labeled it Pastor Appreciation Month, but I want to say that I am so thankful to God for Chad McFadden, for Kevin Shingleton, for Stephen Smith, for John Tierney, and for Kurt Tyra. I thank God for these men. They are gifts to our church. I hope that you thank God for them as I do. That is the right response there, to thank God for them. Now, two of these offices, apostles and prophets, do not exist anymore, though Ellen G. White would beg to differ, all right? And so would some other folks. However, Do you know what they all have in common? Prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They all speak. Their ministry is word ministry. They are meant to say what God says to the church for the glory of God, for the good of the church. But, If you look carefully, elders aren't the only ones speaking here in the church. He gave the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, what Paul is saying is that elders equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, that doesn't mean I need to teach you how to set up tables and tear down tables and how to drive a church van and, and uh, uh, you know, how to organize this or that. No, no, no. The, the, the work of the ministry is the same work of the ministry that the elders are doing. It's just disseminated and democratized to the whole congregation. So, elders equip the saints for the work of ministry. And some of us wipe our brow and say, whew, I am no saint. (laughs) But saints here are not super spiritual folks. They're not the next level Christians. Saints is a New Testament word for every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, elders equip every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to Do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. You are equipped, as the Word of God is preached and taught week by week, each of us is equipped to do the kind of ministry that builds up the church. And building up here is like a picture of a house coming together bit by bit. It's the idea of the strengthening of the walls the filling out of the rooms, the making sure everything is in order, all of these things. We are equipped to do that. So I speak to equip you so that you will speak so that the church will grow. That's how it works. Now, you may not be a public speaker. You may not be a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. But you are still called to speak. Speaking to other Christians to encourage them in their spiritual growth. Look at verses 15 and 16. Okay, let's just add 16 to 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this is one really long sentence, which is something Paul loves to do, all right? And there are all kinds of clauses that are dependent on one another. What I want to do is I want to take you on the main road and, 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 and miss the exits, all right? Miss the little rest areas where you can get off. And you could think about a lot of these things, and rightly so. But I want you, I, I want you to see this, all right? Let me read the main road for you, starting at the beginning of verse 15. Rather... We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Everything between those two phrases, you have to look at your Bible or you will miss this, everything between those from the whole body to that last phrase are dependent clauses. Okay, they, do, they describe what's going on. It is important that every part is working properly. It is important for us to know that all of these joints are held together and equipped. However, the main road is, do you know who makes the body grow and so that it builds itself up in love? According to Paul, the whole body does. The whole body makes the body grow. Pastors don't make the body grow. Church growth seminars don't make the body grow. The latest book may or may not contribute to helping the body grow. Do you know what helps the body grow? You. If you are a Christian, if you are a member of Christ's body, you help the body grow. There is a top-down aspect in that elders are meant to preach the Word widely, but then there is an interlacing, a grassroots movement. Do you know what actually makes a church really strong is when we are committed and take responsibility for one another's spiritual health? Or to use a phrase that's often used in books today disciples make disciples we all contribute to the spiritual lives of one another but how? I mean if I'm not a public speaker, if I'm not a teacher, if I'm not a small group leader, how can I actually help others grow spiritually? That sounds a little bit intimidating, All right, Not gonna lie to you, I've been sitting here for a long time receiving sermons and talking about the cults after church how am I supposed to do? Well, let me just give you four ideas, okay? Can I give you four ideas? The first is talk to others after the service. That's one very simple idea. Not simply about small talk types of things. Talk about something That God spoke to you through His Word. Some way. Just some way that you were encouraged by His Word. Something that stuck out at you and struck you. Because do you know that one of the things... Can I tell you one of the things that encourages me the most as a believer is to hear other people talk about how the Lord is working in their lives. That's one of the most encouraging things there is to hear. Is how God's at work. Just... Talk to others. And if you've literally never done that ever, start this way, okay? Today, if you're married, talk to your wife or your husband about the sermon, about God's Word. Start there. Take a step in the right direction of speaking the truth to one, because you are a speaker. You are meant to be a speaker. And then... Begin to move beyond that. Okay, Talk to others after the service. Second idea, show hospitality. Intentional hospitality. Have other people into your home. Eat dinner. Talk about life. Talk about work. Talk, and just at some point ask this question. How can I be praying for you this week? Do you know how often that question can open up conversations about spiritual things? Very often. Just ask a question. How can I be praying for you this week? And then you can just look for an opportunity to encourage. Third idea, get trained in biblical counseling. Our goal is that every single member of Gray Road would be trained in biblical counseling to some degree. You may never sit across the desk from someone else and help them in the midst of a crisis. However, we do need to be people who think biblically about life and about its problems, and we also need to realize that that phone's going to ring, and somebody on the other end of that phone is going to say, hey, can you help me think about life and problems? Or they're going to text it, or they're going to email it. So whether you know it or not, you are a counselor. But what you need to be committed to is being a speaker of the truth in love. You're a speaker. Fourth idea, last one, read the Bible one-to-one with another Christian. Maybe there's another Christian in your workplace. Uh, maybe you could get together once a month. Maybe the whole idea of reading the Bible with someone else is rather intimidating. So, what is that supposed to look like? Well, let me just tell you in short order. You set a time and a place, there's no prep at all. You get together, you pray, you read a section or a chapter, you discuss it, and you pray. That's it. That's the whole kit and the caboodle. All right? You can do it over lunch, you can do it over coffee, you can do it over Zoom, you can do it over FaceTime, you can do it over the phone. You can do it however it works out. And if you want to learn more, I have five copies of this book, which is really helpful to tear down kind of the the stigma that makes you think that you just have to be some kind of super, super Christian in order to read the Bible with another person I'm willing to give these away after the service if, two conditions, one, you'll read it, and second, you'll do it, okay? You just take a run at it, and, and we'll have more in the cafe next week. There are some helpful questions to stimulate discussion because you could read a whole chapter and say, okay, now what? What do we talk about now? Well, it's helpful to have some guides, so I actually have 50 copies Of one-to-one Bible reading questions that you can come and take these and it's for every genre in the Bible they're divided up and so you ask questions about the context and you make observations and you talk about the meaning and then you talk about the application of these texts these are very helpful I have used these questions when I've read the Bible with other people and it makes it very easy to stimulate discussion okay so I'm I'm actually just going to lay these here Oh. And then I'm going to take Advil for my back. Those are heavy. All right? But look, but li- listen, come to me if you, you're willing to read this, you're willing to do this, come to me. I'm glad to give you one of these. Ignore the price that's on it. All right? Uh, anyway, so there's four ideas, but the, the thrust is, is that we're all speakers. You're not a silent member of the church. You are meant to be a speaking member. God has placed you in this congregation, Gray Road member, not merely for your spiritual growth, but because He intends to use you to encourage and stimulate the growth of others, the speakers. Third thing, the content Rather, speaking the truth in love. Now, looking just at that phrase, the content of this speaking is pretty straightforward. It is the truth. But we, talk a, but we can speak of the truth in a couple of different ways. So, if, if a child takes the last cookie from the cookie jar and... Dad asks, did you take the last cookie from the cookie jar? And the child says, yes. Then that child has told the truth. Now, certainly we must be those who tell the truth in that sense. Ephesians 4.25 says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. There's also a way of speaking of the truth in our day which is pretty much just an excuse to use harsh or slanderous words. So you preface with, well, to tell the truth, he's a no good. She's nothing but a. And then you cap it off with, look, I know that sounds harsh. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to be honest. Honesty gets a bad rap and gets used wrongly. So what does Paul mean when he talks about speaking the truth to help others grow? Well, he means the truth of God's Word. Remember Jesus' prayer in John 17? Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. It's God's Word that helps us to grow. My opinion of your circumstance will not help you grow spiritually one hill of beans. You won't grow at all if I just tell you my opinion of your circumstance. Now, my, you may ask for my advice on one thing or another. I may ask for your advice on one thing or another. But that which contributes to spiritual growth is the Word of God. Man's Word does not contribute to spiritual growth. It is only that which communicates the truth of God. Now, if a friend loses her job, let's say, and what you say is, that's hard. Well, it is hard, isn't it? That's true. But it's not actually the truth that will help her grow in her suffering. Being empathetic is fine. Giving a listening ear is fine. But what we need to grow through trials is actually God's truth. We are placed in that moment, at that place, in order to help our friends see that God is still good, that God is still great, that God is still wise, that nothing about her circumstance has changed the character of God so He can be trusted as she sends out her resume or does whatever it is. To speak God's words well means we need to know God's words. By the way, we're not talking about like having like a a memory verse vending machine, right? So like you come to me and you say, oh, it's that. Well, that's definitely a B4, B4. Here's this verse, right? (laughs) Oh, that's a C2. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we're sold out of that one. Sorry. You know, I mean... It's not just like just throwing verses at problems. What it is is understanding what God has said in His Word so that we can speak to problems. And that honestly begins with how we think about our own life and our own problems. But sometimes it is saying that. I mean, if everybody who came up to you with their problem, you said, oh, you know, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, then... um, That may be appropriate at different times when somebody is struggling with contentment, say. Ah, remember what Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he was talking about being content, whether he had little or whether he had much. Little boy wants to try out for the basketball team. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I want to start a new business and take over the shoelace industry. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No, it's understanding, it's understanding that what God has said in His Word and what, who God is and what He has done for us and what He requires of us and speaking. Now, how are we to do that? I can't tell, we can't like go through a list here. There's not like an appendix that you can just go to and just say problem A verse B. But how can you grow in this? How can we all grow to know God's Word so that we can speak God's words well? Well, as you listen to sermons each week, you could ask two questions. How does this affect my life? And how could I encourage somebody else with this truth? Just two simple questions that you could ask as you're being taught the Bible. Another thing that we can do is actually discipline ourselves to grow personally, on our own. You know, we have something that, most, that, that Christians throughout, most of the Christians throughout the history of the church have not had, which is a copy of the Bible, in our language, in our hand, on our phone, on our tablet, in our earbuds, over the speakers in our car. We have such incredible access so that for the sake of, our own, for, of knowing God and for the health of our own soul and for the sake of speaking to others and seeking to speak the truth in love so that we can grow up, we should be saturated in, with the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, he said, read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. Now for some of us, we hear something like that and we think, that will never be said of me. I have good news. Do not be discouraged. The same way that John Bunyan's soul was saturated with Scripture is the way that your soul can be saturated with Scripture. And that is one day at a time. One decision at a time. Recently Susan discovered uh, the, a recipe for cranberry orange pumpkin muffins. And they are as good as they sound. All right, But part of the recipe is that you take these dried cranberries, these craisins as they're called, and you put them into orange juice and you cover them and you put them in the microwave and you zap them for a bit and then you set them out on the, ca- on the counter. And as they're sitting there they fill up with the juice now most of us would love it if there was some way that I could just put myself and a bible in the microwave and just zap me sit me on the counter and oh I'm saturated with the bible now but friends there is no such recipe The only way to be saturated with the Bible is one day at a time, one decision at a time. As you look at your week, as I look at my week, how could you use, say, your commute? How could you use your lunch hour? How could you use the breakfast time? How could you use your baby's nap time? How could you use halftime in the game that you know you're going to watch this afternoon? What could you listen to while you're on the treadmill? What could you do if you cut your news article reading time in half? What could you do if you cut your YouTube time in half? I've never sat with somebody who told me, I don't have time to read the Bible, and upon closer inspection didn't find several hours of their week that they could use to read the Bible. I've I'm, I'm just not encountered them. So if we're going to speak God's Word well, we need to know God's truth. And if we're going to speak the truth, if we're going to put the truth that we learn into words that are helpful, here's the way you do it. There's not some magical class like you fill in all the blanks, right? You fill in all the blanks and then I'll be able to speak the truth like that. No, no, no. Here's what you do. You ready? Write this down. In order to speak the truth... Speak the truth. You just do it. Tim Keller once told a group of seminary students that their first 200 sermons would be awful, which is not encouraging at all. You're wondering when 200 comes, I know. But (laughs) soon enough, soon enough. But listen... His point was that the more you go about preaching, the better you get at the task of preaching. And the same is actually true, I'm convinced, of speaking about the Bible, of speaking God's Word. The more that you do it, the better you will become at it. So you just have to get started. You are a speaker. You must speak the truth. Last thing, the thing that we cannot leave out, the manner in which we speak. It not only matters that you speak the truth, it matters how you speak the truth. The truth is to be spoken in love. I mean, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what Paul says. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Love is crucial. Now, in any given situation in which you're interacting with a friend, any number of truths may be needed, right? So consider what 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says. It says, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, all right? When you are dealing with someone who is idle, you may say one kind of truth. When you are with the faint-hearted, you may say another truth from the Scripture. When you are with the weak, you may utilize a different truth that God teaches us in the Bible. But the thing that Paul says should mark them all at the end there, be patient with them all. And that patience is a mark of what he says here in Ephesians 4, which is love. 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 You see, there may be many different truths that could be spoken in a given situation, but there is only one way in which that truth should be delivered. Got that? There may be 25 different ways that I could address a person but there is on, with truth, but there is only one manner in which I must deliver that truth, and that is in truth. Love. Now, this is especially important when speaking truth that is a rebuke of the one listening. Listen to what R.C. Sproul said. It is important that when we are engaged in admonition or exhortation or confrontation with a brother who is overcome in sin, we call attention to the truth in an extraordinarily compassionate and tender and loving spirit. Unfortunately, the people who most often preface comments by saying, Brother, I want to speak truth in love are the ones who are most insensitive and the most injurious in violating other people by acid and destructive criticism." Just prefacing your words to one another, just prefacing my words to you with, I'm just here to speak the truth in love, doesn't actually mean I'll speak the truth in love. We cannot be acidic speakers. Think of it this: here's just a practical way to think. If the situation was different, how would I want those words spoken to my wife, to my children, to my mother, to my father, to my grandparents, to my grandchildren, to me? But there's actually more to speaking in love. In love, love is more than just a particular tone, though tone is important. Love goes beyond the willingness to say hard things, though love speaks in hard circumstances. Love goes beyond saying that you love someone, though it is good to express love in words. Friends, love goes beyond one conversation. Love is a person's whole demeanor toward the other. Not just in the moment when those words are spoken, but in all of life. Love is revealed in relationship and in sacrifice and in faithfulness and in patience and in kindness, in gentleness, not just in the one conversation, but in all of our interactions. Love isn't only the manner of our words toward others, it's the manner of our lives with others. It is the atmosphere in which the truth thrives and can be heard and received. When we speak the truth in love, it means we loved the person long before we spoke to them, we love them while we are speaking to them, and we will love them afterwards. Love is not a B 2 bomber that drops the truth bomb and then flies away. Love imitates the shepherd who walks down into the valley of the shadow of death with the person. Love is patient and kind. part in this congregation includes speaking the truth in love. You may not ever be a public speaker, but you are a speaker, and you must speak the truth within the context of love and in a loving way. And the goal of it all The aim of speaking the truth in love is that we will all grow up in Christian maturity. We help one another grow by speaking the truth in love. That's the point. We We help one another grow by speaking the truth in love. And the question that remains for you is the question that remains for me. That wherever you are, whatever experience you've had, whatever level of obedience you've had to this point, speaking the truth in love, the question is this. Will you begin today? Will you speak the truth in love? Will you be committed to the growth of this body so that you will love deeply and speak truthfully. Friends, I will tell you the truth. We will not be built up in love if we don't do it. We just won't. Not to the degree that the Lord wants us to, for sure. Let's pray together. Our Father, Your Word calls us to many things. And those things to which Your Word calls us are never things within our capacity in the flesh to accomplish. And so we look at these words to speak the truth in love so that we will grow up as a church. And for many of us, this is so foreign. It's so new. It's something... We've never done or only done poorly. And I pray, God, that you will give us grace to speak the truth in love. That you will cause us as a body to make the body grow so that we build ourselves up in love we pray that You will give us grace to saturate ourselves in the Word, to have our thinking conformed to it, our speaking conformed to it, our actions conformed to it. I pray, God, that You will move in the hearts of all of us that each of us will take seriously the call You've placed on us, that those, who, that those of us who do speak publicly and teach publicly would not limit our speaking the truth in love to public venues, but will do it in public and from house to house, that we will do it individually as well as corporately. I pray, God, that those who struggle with the fear of man would seek to honor You, would fear You, would want to please You more than they fear man. God, I pray that the result of Your Spirit teaching us Your Word will be obedience for Your glory and the building up of Your church. We pray it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.